We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. The NBA is back. Where else can a city this loud be this left on? And 30 feet is still in range. Where else is history? Still in the making. The NBA, only here. Season begins December 22nd on ABC, ESPN, TNT, and NBA TV. Crossing route, Gurley makes the catch 20. First down, he hurdles. Far side of the field, stays on his feet. Inside the 10, Todd Gurley making his case for MVP. Wait, he throws back shoulder. Higby reaches out and makes an incredible catch for a first down. Off his back foot, he throws to the end zone. Cooper Cup leaping to make the catch. Out of bounds, he has it for six. He's got a knee-high snap, looking left. Now over the middle, he pump picks. He rolls to his right with Connor Barwin pursuing. He knocks him down. The ball is thrown up in the air and batted away. Incomplete. The Rams defense clinches it. Goff will come on the field for victory formation. Rams sideline across the field from us erupts in celebration. And so the playoffs are coming back to L.A. This January at the Coliseum. We, not me, versus the NFC. And for the first time since 2003, the Rams are NFC West champions. Welcome to Rams Talk Radio. This is managing editor Derek C. Apollo with the man, the myth, the legend, Norm Hightower, with our post-game look at the Rams 1915 victory over the Oakland, Las Vegas, whatever the heck they are, Raiders. Norm, how you feeling this morning? And it is morning, by the way, folks. It's way too early in the morning, but uh, I'm feeling good. I, I saw some positive things in the game yesterday, and, and I'm much happier than I was against the Ravens. Okay, so we're going to get into this, but in these early morning hours, you still cannot forget to ask you to check out iTunes. Uh, we would really appreciate a five-star review there. As well as, hey, subscribing. Subscribing to all the other outlets we're on, including SoundCloud, Stitcher, et cetera, et cetera. And don't forget, we're also on IE Beat Radio. Uh, they air our shows on Wednesdays, Saturdays, and Sundays at 10 a.m. Pacific time. 
Now for a word from our sponsor. Most of us are practically addicted to anything Los Angeles Rams. Well, if you want to learn more about the Rams history with a bit of personal touch, check out Jim Hawk's Hollywood team, Grit Glamour in the 1950s LA Rams. The book tells the story of the Rams, the 1950s Rams, through the lens of Jim's dad, John, who was an offensive lineman for the team from 1953 to 1957. Folks, this is a great story of his, of a son and his father team played for in the era of glitz, glamour, and the future Hall of Famers. Read about players like Norm Van Brocklin, the Flying Dutchman, Elroy, Crazy Hurst, Tom Fears, Les Richter, all in the store of the 1950s LA Rams. You can find Hawk's book online at hollywoodsteam.com and on Twitter at hollywoodsteam. It's available in both hardback and electronic form at Amazon and Barnes & Noble. Oh, and you can also find this book in various other online booksellers. Folks, it's well worth it. Read it. I promise you it's a great one. Hollywood's Teen Grit, Glamour, and the 1950s L.A. Rams by Jim Hawk. It's worth your time. Okay, so in, in the show prep this morning, Norm, we already have our first discussion. Um, I saw things a bit differently than you did. Uh, maybe, you know, and in I have to admit in our pre-discussion, you make a, you make a solid argument. So... You're probably going to crush me on this, but I'm still going to make it because I don't agree. Um, Sean Mannion, the quarterbacks, the quarterback issues with the Rams right now, you don't seem to think there is an issue compared to last week. I, I saw things a little bit differently. I believe the Rams have a very real uh, back quarterback problem. Uh, and for me, it's hard for me to, to, to really say that because I've been a Sean Mannion fan. I believe that he could step in, but I haven't seen the development needed for a guy who's been around now entering his, I think it's his fourth year. So I'm not the only one who feels that way. Quarterback guru guy who's been on our show, Benjamin Albright, actually argued a little bit online yesterday in saying basically, hey, um, I'm not, quote, 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 I'm not trying to dog the guy, but Sean Mannion is awful. When asked if a gun to his head, who would he take, Mannion or Hackenberg, Albright noted the bullets. So his evidence, just statistically, Sean Mannion this preseason is 13 of 29, 44.8% for 100 yards. That's 3.45 yards per attempt, zero touchdowns, one interception. He notes that the only quarterback in the NFL last year to have that low of a YPA and 10 more than 10 passes was Ryan Mallett. He also harkens back to his original scouting. Mannion's throws are slow, high, and behind receivers in these drills. He's talking about the call, the combine in 2015. Uh, one more thing there. He also notes it's that time of year where they throw the tape in the trash and ask, is he big and playing in a sort of pro system? And he notes both Tom Savage and Sean Mannion. So with all that out there, I happen to – Agree a bit more. You made some valid points pregame. I'm sorry, not pregame, pre-show as we were preparing. What is your real feeling on Sean Mannion right now? Well, it's a lot different than it was last week. Uh, you said in our pre-podcast argument that Mannion didn't go through his progressions. I would argue that he did when he was when he was supposed to. Uh, there was no game planning yesterday except for on a few plays. Really, it was very a vanilla offense again. You know, no starters. 
McVeigh doesn't want to show uh, Gruden anything. So he kept the offense very vanilla. There were a few times where he called in some plays that were different. And when he did, Mannion performed. On the long throw, I think it was to Hodges. Mm-hmm. Uh, Hodge. Um, to Hodge. It was a little high and a little behind, but it was also pretty darn accurate considering. And uh, I saw some good things. I saw some footwork yesterday. I saw him step up in the pocket and avoid the rush almost effortlessly a couple of times. And, you know, in your argument earlier, you were talking about how the throws were behind. Well, I would argue that, again, it's not number one receivers. Are they running their routes right? You know, sure, Mannion, I'm sure, threw behind on a few of them. But you got to look at both sides of it. And yesterday I saw potential. Yesterday I saw the fact that I think he could step in with the number ones if he practiced with the number ones and probably perform well. When I say well, as good as Jared Goff, no, but better than he's been performing in the preseason. So you have to look at the level of talent that he's been playing with, which isn't the number ones. You have to look at, you know, would he be under as much pressure defensively? Probably not. He will face better defenders, but he'll also have better receivers to throw to. So looking at the overall picture yesterday, excuse me, I think that Mannion showed that he could do it. Was it great? No. But it was much better than the first week. Is he a Ted is you know, is he equal to Teddy Bridgewater? No. But we're also not paying him Teddy Bridgewater money. So do I think we have a severe problem at this point? It's still too early to tell, but I don't think so. I think Mannion can do an admirable job if he's called upon during the season with the number ones, if he has some time to play with them. See, a couple points with you, with the argument you're making. And the first one, when talking about who you're playing with, yeah, it's a valid point. It's a very valid point. That said, in terms of actually running through progressions, he was staring down receivers. It wasn't just, hey, I didn't run through this progression. I just – he – from the moment he took the snap, he was looking at his guy. That's the biggest no-no out there. You know, that's are – you, are, did you not see that? Well, no, I saw that, but I'll also argue the fact that that's who the play was going to the whole time, and there was no reason to look anywhere else because most of the throws were dump-offs. So uh, under your argument there, Norm, under your argument, what you're saying is, hey, let's go defenses. It's okay if you know exactly where we're going from the moment the ball is snapped. Uh, is that what you're arguing? Pretty much because you're throwing dump-offs. It's not like they can defend it anyways. They weren't all dump-offs. They weren't all little three, four-yard screens. They were some, so there were several outs. I mean, it was one was almost intercepted, right? Yeah. Okay. One, one was almost intercepted, but I will say that most of the time the play was called in to who it was going to. So what I saw in the game was a guy who I guess I'm not going to back off from this. Uh, listeners will have to judge which way they go. I saw a guy. I'll, I'll agree. His footwork was improved. I'll say. I'll say he stood much better in the pocket than he did in the last game. He was able to make that nice throw to Hodge. A little bit underthrown, but like you said, it was there. However. The, the progression thing scares me, especially when I saw him run through progression as past Johnny Munt. One, two, three, four, and he looks, there he is. So I, 
I have concerns in where he is now with his development. Maybe, maybe I'm wrong. Maybe he's a Kurt Warner kind of guy who could, who stepped in like Kurt Warner did and didn't look all that great with number twos and number threes. But I'm concerned, man. I'm well, concerned. I'm. Let me let me make one point. He's no Kurt Warner. <laughs> well, yeah, <laughs> true. I'm just I'm just just the example of a guy who bound the bench and came off of it later on and and did something. Well, he McVeigh didn't want to game plan in front of Gruden, and obviously Gruden didn't want to game plan in front of McVeigh, and neither one of them game planned a lot. Most of the time, it was run, 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 dump off pass, dump off pass, and then occasionally they'd throw something in there. And that's the way it was the whole game. You could see it. It was obvious. Uh, I think that Mannion could do okay. I, I don't think he's a great backup, but I also don't think he's horrible. We've seen moments throughout his career, even under Jeff Fisher, that he could play well. We had fans screaming for a long time, take take Goff out, take, uh, you know, take anybody else out, put Mannion in, Mannion's our guy, and then all of a sudden that went away. Well, he has his moments because he gets the time, but he hasn't had the time other than with the number twos. Yes, you know, his progressions probably could be better, but I would argue that the play calling didn't really warrant any progressions in most cases. It's, this is who you're going to throw to. So why go through progressions? It's not like there was a lot there to go through. So overall, I think... He showed that he could do this, and I think that he showed that he could run the offense, but you bring in a guy like Teddy Bridgewater or whatever else, how long is it going to take him to learn McVay's system? It's a fair point. I'm, uh, do you bring in a, te- a Teddy Bridgewater who's barely even played in the last couple of years, or do you find, and here's the big winner break he's arguing for, RG3, which ironically I'm not for. I... I look at it and go, there has to be a better option out there. There has to be in terms of a guy who can back up Jared Goff on what could be a Super Bowl team. And this is what really concerns me is we're going to trust the backup position to a guy like Sean Mannion when everything else in the roster is pretty much set for a possible Super Bowl run. It could be a, a quarterback catastrophe. <laughs> <laughs> Sounds horrible saying it's a good catastrophe, but it could be I, I, that the lack of a word there, just like most general stupid cliched word out there. I just don't see why the Rams should risk an entire season on Mannion's shoulders. Well, I would argue that it's too late to really make that change now. If you if you were going to make that change, you needed to bring in a quarterback that you thought could do that before camp. You bring in anybody now, it's going to take them probably months to learn the playbook. So, at least Mannion knows the playbook. If you were to bring in a Teddy Bridgewater or an RG3 right now, how long is it going to take them, number one, to learn the playbook? Then, they're timing with the receivers. You take all that into play, it would be months before any backup was ready to play. So, I would argue it's too late for that now. And I would think that that conversation should probably end because there's nobody out there, unless you want to bring Case Keenum in, which obviously that's not going to happen. There's nobody out there that really knows McVeigh's system. So I think if they're going to make the change, they'll have to do it 
they'll have to start looking at it this offseason and start, you know, going towards next year's combine and scouting and all that and look to do it next year. I, I say it's too late to do it this year. I think it would be a detriment more than a, more than a positive to bring in somebody right now. I think Mannion can do it. Obviously, he's going to need more time practicing with the ones if, you know, and when camp's over and when the, this is all settled, if Mannion's the backup, then obviously he's going to start getting more time with the number ones in practice. And then we can then we can talk more about it. But I really think it's too late at this point to to bring in anybody else because it's going to take them too long to get acclimated. And I really think that would hurt us more than anything else. Unless you brought in a veteran in golf man to stay healthy for a few weeks. Yeah, but, given that but even still time I, to learn the system. Even still, I mean, it's like you got to compare like Jeff Fisher's offense to high school level algebra and and Sean McVay's offense to, you know, junior year calculus. All right. If you've never learned calculus, how quickly can you learn it? And that's my point. I don't think anybody, I don't think RG3 or Teddy Bridgewater can come in and learn McVeigh's offense in a couple weeks and be able to go in and back up as well as Manny would be able to. I, I would say it would take a couple months. Look how long it took, took Goff to learn it last year. As the year went on, he learned it more and more and more and more. Uh, and, and as a backup, how much time are you going to actually get during practice to learn it and to go out and apply it? So I really don't think it's worth it this year to make the change. I think Mannion showed me enough yesterday that he could do the job if he had to. Is it our optimal choice? No. But I don't think there's a better choice out there right now. Uh, that's all I'm going to say that is. Uh. <laughs> hey, I'm, I, I'm not necessarily happy about it, but I, I did see improvement from him yesterday, and that, that helped. No, we did see improvement from it. I understand that. And it's just that I've, I've not... I want to make sure I choose my words right here. I'm just not sold that he can step in and lead this team to Super Bowl glory if Jared Goff goes down. He, I, I'm not sold he can do basically like what a Nick Foles did last year at the Eagles. Or I, I'm, I'm concerned that in, dude, just think of it this way. This is the first time we've entered a season with these kind of aspirations since probably 2001, 2002, 2003. I, I don't argue that. And I I mean, if you go back and look at the Pac-12, uh, Mannion and Foles were, were there close to the same time. I mean, Foles is a little beforehand, but... I watched them both, and I think they were both equally good in college. When you look at the overall statistics and stuff, I think Mannion, you know, he played in a pro-style offense at Oregon State. He he was one of the league leaders in throwing. You know, he has the ability. It's just, has he been uh, raised right in the system, I guess. And I would argue that he started off in Jeff Fisher's system, and obviously, not many quarterbacks did well in that. This is his second year in McVay's system. And yesterday, he showed improvement. And, you know, I, I saw some pretty positive things. When he when he was getting rushed there and he moved up into the pocket without even turning his head to look at the rush, that was pretty positive. 
That was something that you don't see many backup quarterbacks be able to do. He has the arm. I would argue that his accuracy would improve if he had more time with the number ones and was throwing to them. So I really think we'd be okay. I don't think we'd be great, but we'd be okay. Maybe Kurt Warner will come out of the booth and, you know, back us up. <laughs> well, another thing too, though, with that's just one more knock on Manion. Those right, his delivery is still a bit long, which slows him down some as well. And I think that's going to potentially hurt him in in his development over time. You have to ask the question. Overall, with Sean Manion, you mentioned Jeff Fisher, and you mentioned you know the system he came up in. How much work has Sean Manion put in personally to develop? And we don't have an answer to that question. You would think he's a professional and he's putting all the work in possible, but we don't know. We don't I, know. I really think that we won't ever know unless that situation comes up when he has to go in, which we hope doesn't happen. But until he has to go in and and be the starter and get the kind of time from McVeigh you know, the tutelage and stuff that he's been given to Goff, if he's given that to Mannion, that's when we'd really be able to tell. I'm more confident than I was that he'd be okay, but I'm still, I, I still don't like the fact that he's our backup, but right now I think he's the best choice for our backup, and I don't think we could bring anybody else this year that would make an impact this year. You know, if you can bring a, a Teddy Bridgewater or somebody like that in for a couple of years, and they have a year to learn the system and all that and have him as our backup next year, sure. But Teddy Bridgewater, he could be a starter in the league, obviously. that's He's not going to come sign a multiple-year deal to be a backup. So right now, I think Mannion's our best choice, and we have to live with it. And, and, and I'm more positive about it now than I was. He, he showed huge improvement compared to week one. All right, so just a word for our sponsor, Sal Martinez, the Gold Ram Barbershop. If you're looking to support one of your own in Orange County and you'd like the old-school barbershop experience, check out the Gold Ram Barbershop at 13755 Golden West Street in Westminster, California, 92683. Sal Martinez opened up his shop as a shrine to the Rams on the day the team left for St. Louis. He's kept the lights on ever since. He's by appointment only, so give him a call at 714-894-RAMS or 7267 Use a promo code Rams Talk, so he knows we sent you, and you'll get a discount on an already affordable haircut. The Gold Ram Barbershop is open Monday through Friday, 8 a.m. to 6 p.m. and Sunday. Sorry, Saturday, not Sunday. Saturday, 7 a.m. to 4 p.m. because on Sundays he's closed. One more time, give Sal a call at 714-894-7267 and visit to his shop's worth it, folks. It's like a little mini West Coast Hall of Fame for the Rams. It's really a wonderful place to visit, but the experience of having, you know, it's a man's man shop. No offense, ladies. You'll go in there and get a great barbershop experience. And, hey, he made me look decent, and he did miracles on Norm's head. So there you go. Other takeaways from the game. There were a couple of guys I saw stand out. I'm not sure, you know, which ones you have. John Kelly, again, despite he had a lower average, 18 carries, 56 yards, made a pretty critical mistake there or could have been critical, where he was heading towards a hole on a play, I think it was in the fourth quarter, took a jump back and lost a couple yards, made up for it later on a big on a big carry. Um, what did you think of him? I still think he, he did fine. Uh, there were, you know, a couple rookie mistakes he made, but 
Mm-hmm. Overall, I think he still showed that he has a lot of talent, and and you know he he did play a lot more yesterday. Um, eighteen carries. Yeah, I mean that's a pretty good load for him, and you know it's hard it's hard to say, but there were moments where you could just see, especially when he planted his foot and and headed into the hole, the kind of burst he has, the ability to square up and go downfield fast and make cuts. Yeah, I was still impressed by him. Okay, who did you see that really made an impact for you? You know, probably some different guys than you. Um, uh, overall, I think a lot of the guys played fairly well on defense. I mean, again, very vanilla. Uh, you could tell when when Wade Phillips put some pressure on. Mm-hmm. When he put the pressure on, it really affected uh, it really affected the outcome of the plays. But uh, I would say some guys that cert- that. Uh, that surprised me. Bryce Hager surprised me. Uh, he showed some burst and some speed that I, I really wasn't expecting. And he uh, he looked improved, in my opinion. He made a couple of nice plays there, especially to stop some big runs. Yes. Uh, Laguda actually looked pretty well. And uh, I, I didn't know much about him, but he showed flashes yesterday that he can be good. Justin Lawler impressed me again. I think it's Justin Lawler, right? Yes. Okay. He it's hard because you've got like the King Jerry Lawler out there. Yeah. And you have other Lawler names. And, th- <laughs> and I think this is his grandson, isn't he? I don't know. I, I want to find I, out. I think it is. I think he's his grandson. Um, he he still impresses me uh, on screenplay. He got up in the air and did affect the trajectory of the ball. Didn't quite knock it down, but he, he seems like he's got great instincts. Uh, Noteboom did fairly well. Uh, there were moments when he definitely looked like a rookie, but he was definitely better than a lot. Uh, Nate Holly surprised me. A uh, couple pass defends that he had were awesome. I was uh, I was really impressed by him. You know, Micah Kaiser. We didn't see a whole mm-hmm. lot of, out of Micah Kaiser, but when we did, like. You know, a couple of plays, his number was called to rush the quarterback. He got to the quarterback and hit him, but I wasn't impressed with his tackling ability at that point, but he did get there and slow him down so somebody else could come in and finish it off. Uh, Hodge impressed me. Uh, impressed, impressed me. <laughs> uh, Hodge was really impressive. Yeah, I, I was surprised by him. Uh, I really think he's got a shot at making making the league, if not the team. So there were there were some good guys. I didn't I did not like the missed field goal by Zerline. Uh, obviously, after last year, you know our expectations are really high. But he did he did straighten it out by the end of the game. You know, by the end of the half, I should say. And you know that's probably about it. I I mean there were some guys on there that I was. I was getting some reaffirmation on. You know, I think Lawler was one of them. Uh, he's a player. He's going to make this team. I think he is. I, I think he's going to make the team. He'll make the 53. I don't think he may be a starter, but I think he's going to make the 53. So I was impressed by that. On the very least, I think he makes you know, the practice squad, but I think he's going to make the team. And by the way, he's related to L.A. Clippers all-time, long-time great commentary analyst, Ralph Lawler, not Jerry Lawler. So, there you go. There's some information on him. Joseph Noteboom. 
was my big guy yesterday. Played three positions on the offensive line. The offensive line, by the way, looked a lot better. It held up, especially in that first half, quite well to the Raiders' pass rush or whatever kind of rush they tried to pull off. Much improved. Joseph Noteboom, three different positions on the offensive line in the game. Uh, left tackle. I, I was pretty stoked to see how well he stepped up. Again, I know it's mostly second and third teamers, but his development from last week to this week, or just overall, we're seeing stuff from him that give us hope that he can be the guy that steps in for Andrew Whitworth when he retires. I'm pretty happy with that. Yeah, I was too. Um, that's all. <laughs> well, there's no reason for me to keep saying the same things that you're saying. I mean, you know, he, he played several positions. He did well. Uh, I can see him being great depth for us this year. And, and uh, I could also see him stepping up to be a starter in a couple of years. So, sure, I agree with you. But, you know, yeah. if you really I want just, me to go into explanations or I can just say I agree with you. I just love the abruptness of the way you said it. That's just what kind of caught me off guard. I was like, whoa, wait a minute. What did he just do? So, <laughs> well, for most people that know me, that's the way I am in real life. I just say it how it is and I say it quick and I, I really don't ramble on. But, you know, if you want me to keep going, I will. No, nah, that's okay. We, we heard enough of your voice. <laughs> All right, so things you didn't like in this game, things that alarmed you at all. We saw you talked about some of the good things. What about some of the bad things? I hate the new helmet rule. I absolutely hate the new helmet rule. It's taking away from football. It's you know in a in a league that especially the Rams now they look better yesterday than Oakland did, but the Rams have been a highly penalized team for a long time, and I could really see this helmet rule affecting us. I understand it's for player safety, but I don't think the refs are in any position right now to make this call consistently throughout the year. When I was taught, or accurately, yeah. When I was ta- when I tackled when I was a kid, I was taught to put the center of my face mask like a set of crosshairs right in the guy's chest. You're going to get penalized for that now. That's a good hit to have your face mask up. If you're hitting with the top of your helmet, I understand, but. Watching the games yesterday and last weekend and all that, and watching them call the penalties, I don't like this rule. I think it's going to really bug us. I think that was the thing that irritated me the most throughout the game because I was sitting there watching every tackle going, oh, God, they're going to throw a flag on that. Well, and there was the one where he – where uh, I, I'm trying to remember it was dumb man's name. He's trying to make the team. It's just off the, the tip of my tongue. But he hit at the shoulder – and his helmet came off the side, and they called that. Yeah, I know. And that played. was a drive the Raiders. That was a drive the Raiders got a score on. Right. So it cost the Rams when it he had clearly shut down that play. I had a major problem with with, with that call. You're going to affect games like that. How about that? Minnesota? Did you see the one in Minnesota? Yeah, I did. I the the one that you're talking about was when their receiver caught the football and he came up and hit him right away and hit him kind of high. I don't think that should have been a helmet call. However, he did take his forearm and put it into the helmet of the guy. Did hit him in the head. So I could see that being a penalty, but not the helmet penalty because it wasn't his helmet that did it. And I'm just worried that the refs are focus, focusing so much on that that that's going to be an issue throughout the year. The players hate the rule, and <laughs> I, I can see it being a real pain in, the, in our ass all season long. So I really don't like that. 
I didn't like the amount of yards that we gave up on the running game, but let's be honest, that that guy, uh, I don't remember his name. Chris Warren III. Yeah, Warren. That guy's a beast. Yes, he is. If he doesn't he, make the if he doesn't make the Raiders, he's going to make a team somewhere. But uh, uh, he makes that team. Yeah, he's like fifth on their depth chart right now. And they've got some pretty darn good running backs, so it's going to be hard to let him go. But uh, some if if they do, somebody's going to pick him up right away. So uh, well, it was Torian Nixon, by the way, Norm. It was Torian Nixon who was who was uh, leading with his shoulder and the, the forearm, the helmet. Wasn't that more? The result of the actual physical contact and not him actually trying to hit the guy in the with the forearm. No, he he led with his forearm. I think it was a way to keep leading from his helmet or leading with his helmet, but he kind of led with his forearm and he did hit him in the chin. And so I can I can see that I could I could see that being called or not being called, but I, I would have been okay with that part of the call. But uh, I, I'm not okay with. Uh, I'm not okay with the helmet rule. I just no, I, no it's I just it's it. awful. And don't forget too the just this can get worse. We we saw in Minnesota a, a textbook sack in Minnesota yesterday called. Uh, I just you're going to ruin the game. They're, you're going to this is going to it's oh, gosh I can't it's ticking me off man. I'm getting angry about it. You're going to wreck the game by. Being so ticky tack, the real, the real problem now is you can't. It's it's hard to expect players who have been tackling this way their entire lives all of a sudden change. I know you're trying to change it, but this is something that you got to fix at the grassroots level. When I was coaching football, USA football was was making sure that they had us learning how to teach these kids to tackle across the belt with your helmets, like you said, your helmet to the chest, right? Mm-hmm. Well, now you tackle across the body, so where your your head is on their side and you follow through okay so that is supposed to prevent neck injuries so on and so forth that's at the youth level that's where you're so you're and you're going to see a development moving up over the years of better form tackling that's safer i wouldn't say it's better but safer but right now you're expecting these guys to automatically change their instincts a, but the bigger problem is you're not even interpreting that the plays are making properly. The rule is gonna—it's gonna be a problem. You might as well change the sport to flag football and call it good. I, I'm one of those traditionalists. I like the game the way it was played, you know, back in the '50s and '60s and early '70s when you got guys like Youngblood playing with a broken leg. You know, that to me, that's football. And you start taking away the fact that you can't hit a guy with a helmet. Now, if it's an obvious spear-type play where you're leading with the crown of your helmet and you're hitting the guy that way, and it's that obvious, sure, I, I get that. But I saw them, I've been seeing them call plays throughout the whole preseason with all the games, not just with the Rams, where guys are coming in and making a textbook tackle with their face mask planted right in the guy's chest and they're calling them with the leading in the helmet. And and that to me is taken away from the game. And I really hope that this experiment by the end of preseason, the NFL steps in and says, you know what, this isn't working out. We need to change this because honestly, there's going to be a lot of guys that get fined and the players aren't going to be happy about that. So I, I really think that they ought to put this rule on the shelf and rethink it. 
but probably not going to happen. And I don't want to get political here, but it's the way our society is going anymore. You know, with everybody getting offended over everything and all that kind of stuff. I just worry about they're trying to take a game that's meant to be violent. It's meant to, you know, when you have bodies clashing out there on a field, it's meant to be violent. And you start taking the violence out of the game, you might as well play powder puff flag football and call it good. Well, the only thing I would say there to kind of run counter, not really arguing, but maybe add a little bit of context to it. I don't think there's anything wrong with trying to protect the players' lives. You've seen a lot of people, you know, get sick now. We know the CTE thing going on, which we don't want to talk about, by the way. We're not going to delve into CTE. There's still lots to learn about it. But there's nothing wrong with trying to protect the players. But in the process of trying to protect the players, are you going too far? Are you taking legitimate tackles that really don't risk anybody's health and safety and making them into penalties, which then therefore alter the game. Yeah, they are. That's exactly what they're doing, and I and I don't like it. You know, so yeah, football is is physical. It can be quote unquote violent. It can be one of those things where somebody can get hurt. Your injuries happen in every sport: soccer, basketball, baseball. Injuries are going to happen. It's a sport. Do you make it so stringent that these players can't breathe in the field? Yeah, this one's too much, in my opinion. They've done a lot to protect the players. You know, blows to the head, things like that. Uh, you know, roughing the passers almost got ridiculous, too. But, you know, I understand why they're doing that. But this rule, the way this rule's playing out right now, it's not good for football. And this is actually really bad for the Rams. Given the pass rush you're going to have up the middle with, with Sue and Brockers, and of course the big man Aaron Donald when he gets back. This is going to be a problem because they're going to be after the quarterback a lot. In my view, right now, our offensive line is stable enough. We're not going to see that as much as what opposing offensive lines are going to see. It's going to hurt the Rams more than most teams will, in my view. I really believe that. Okay, so moving forward. It is still summer in SoCal, folks. And if you want to get some work done in your pool, now's the time before kids go back to school and you're back into work, getting ready for fall, Christmas season, so on and so forth. So if you're looking to remodel, resurface, or even put in a new pool, check out Jayhawk Pool Plastering and Modeling at 4780 East Wesley Avenue in Anaheim, California. Jayhawk Pool Plastering and Modeling serves Orange County and the Southland. They're run by Jayhawk, the eldest son of John Hawk, former Ram. He built this business on a mantra of fantastic results and amazing customer service. So just head on over to jhawkpools.com, take a look at their work. I'm telling you, it's fantastic. You can see the call in their finishes. They have plenty of written testimonies provided by past customers. If you're looking to remodel, resurface, or even put in a new pool, give Jayhawk a call at 714-695-0700. Again, that's 714-695-0700. 0700. You can even email them at info at jhawkpools.com and get some information as well. Folks, it's a great opportunity to support our podcast and help fellow members of the Rams family. If you live out in that area, give Jayhawk Pool Plaster a call. They'll be glad you did. Also, we're looking for sponsors. For the 2018 season, we have three shows now. I think we're actually putting out content. What is it, four or five times a week now, Norm? Yeah. It's, we're, 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 we're providing 
Okay. It's just a great inexpensive way to get the word out on your business. Our numbers are growing crazy fast. We're also, we have internet numbers from, uh, from IE radio as well. So getting in early will save you money. Reach out to us at 1945rams1945 at gmail.com. Leave us a voicemail too. 657-666-5453. We'll have a media kit ready to get out to you. Okay. So some news before we get out of here. Kevin Demoff was on the, the broadcast yesterday. Did you hear it? Yeah. Everything you had to say? What did you think? Yeah. I mean, you know, it was nice to see the stadium stuff and that kind of thing. And, you know, when it comes to Aaron Donald conversations, you know, everybody puts up the wall and says, well, you know, things are looking good. But one one thing he did say that kind of caught my attention is, you know, throughout this Throughout these negotiations, you have good moments and you have bad moments. You have to work through them all to make this all work out. And what I got from it is it's not going to happen yet. Yeah, and also, but when he's saying things like that, the one thing I picked up on is they are in communication. It's not a Khalil Mack situation where they're not talking. I think the Rams want Aaron Donald there, and I think Aaron Donald wants to be there. I think he understands – they both understand it's a business, and they have to find what works. I'm much more confident – that Donald will be back with the Rams soon rather than later in comparison with Khalil Mack. And the Raiders, Khalil Mack, they're nowhere even close in sight right now, which blows my mind. The Raiders need him. It blows my mind. Yeah, no, I agree. I mean, I've got some other friends and family that have been saying, oh, maybe he'll, you know, maybe he'll end up with this team or maybe he'll end up with that team. I can't see Gruden in his first year as the new, you know, new, old, new, coach with the Raiders <laughs> uh, letting a guy like Mac leave uh, I think he would you know literally throw a Chucky tantrum and say you're not letting this guy out of here this is crazy so uh, but I agree that we're far progressed more than that situation uh, I do think that Donald will get the contract done with the Rams before the first game of the season you know there's other podcasts and other sources that have said that it was going to be done by the end of the week. Well, it's Sunday morning. I still haven't heard anything. I don't think that that's going to happen. Uh, you never know, but I, I do see it happening before the beginning of the season. And you know, I, the Rams are still taking visitors too. I mean, junior Gallette, which I know you're going to talk about next came and visited the Rams. You know, he's a 30 year old, defensive end outside linebacker that played for the Saints and the, the Redskins. I think he'd be a good veteran addition to the team. I don't know how you pay him, especially when you're working out this deal with Aaron Donald, although it won't affect this year's money. But still, there's not a lot of cap room left. But maybe Colette's just looking to, to get a ring and thinks this is a great opportunity. I like all the moves the Rams have made so far this year. And again, I said this way, way months ago. Uh, they're going to get Donald under contract. It's going to happen because they can't afford to lose him on a Super Bowl run like they're trying to make. It's just, when is it going to happen? The other thing is, this is the second preseason game. We didn't see any of our starters except for Ibukam early and, and Jamon Brown, who you know, obviously is suspended for the first couple of games. I'm a little nervous about that. I would like to see our starters get some time on the field. Uh, I'm sure they will next week, but I thought they would this week. Uh, I really want to see Jared Goff and our offense and our defense get out there and, and play at least a quarter. But, you know, it scares me. Like when you look at 
like the Seattle game last night, Russell Wilson was out there playing for almost a whole half in the second game. And here our guys haven't even been out there, and I'm just afraid that they're not going to get the rush shaken off. Yeah, on the flip side, though, look at the Vikings, for example. The Vikings lost a couple of guys yesterday for the season. And so you're it's such a risk-reward yeah. type of situation that, you know, you don't. what do you want to do here? And honestly, watching the way the Raiders play this game, and I mean that in not very nice terms, the, the penalties they took, the things they were doing out there in the field, I'm, I'm – I'm okay with the Rams not playing the Stars yesterday. I did not I, like the way the, the Raiders carried themselves yesterday out there. I'm I'm with you too, but I also think that the starters got to get some time. They do. They, they do. Can't, they can't come off the practice field and go into their first game. I think that's a real mistake. So, yeah, there's risk involved. But that's why I say if we don't see them next week, because I have a feeling we're not going to see any starters in, in week four of the preseason. So... It's like next next game is their only shot to get the starters out there. So I really hope that we get to see them a little bit. Yeah, you don't want anybody to get hurt, but I still think you have to you have to get some game situations done with the team. Well, also you mentioned Gallette. He is being with the Rams on Sunday. By the time you listen to this podcast, he may already be under contract. Uh, it looks like already done deal. He's talking like it on Twitter. I don't know if you've seen Junior Gallette's tweets, but he sent a thank you message out to Redskins fans yesterday and uh, he's been sending hints about being out in LA and of course right now we know he's visiting the Rams to, to, uh, what is now today so by the time you guys listen to it it'll be, it'll be Monday I think so there you go it looks like this is going to happen and I liked it I like it a lot it, it'll give the Rams a little bit more depth at linebacker and we've always been worried about that although uh, you know although I think the linebackers played fine yesterday overall, you know overall I would agree so okay we're almost done here. We do have our weekly trivia question. One more time for uh, this question right here. When you have the answer, email it to us at ramstalk1945 at gmail.com. I'm going to tell you right now, we do not have a winner yet, by the way. We do not have a winner for this, so check it out. Get a free copy of Hollywood's team. What team beat the Rams in the 1955 NFL championship game, and what was the final score? That's your question. Again, email it to us at ramstalk1945 at gmail.com. Norm, any final thoughts today? Oh, I'm just happy to see the Rams look better yesterday. I mean, <laughs> after watching the Ravens game uh, live, which was very hard, uh, I saw much improvement yesterday from everybody. Uh, a lot of guys showed me they have some potential. A lot of our draft, a lot of our draft picks did much better this week, and I was happy to see that. So. Overall, uh, I'm, I'm pretty pleased with everything, and uh, I look forward to next week and hopefully seeing our starters play. For me, it's all about the stars now. I'm with Norm on that. I also do want to see – I would like to see what you're talking about, Sean Mannion getting some time with the number ones. Get Jared Goff out there, get a couple of series, get Sean Mannion some time with the ones so we can see him work with them, and maybe we'll get a clearer picture of what we have in him. I have a lot more doubts than Norm does, but – you know, Norm's also a pretty good judge of quarterback character, so we'll see. Don't forget to follow us on Twitter at TalkRams and on Facebook at Facebook.com forward slash Rams Talk. And you can also join our group, which is growing, by the way. I don't know if you've noticed that. It's growing. A Rams Talk room. We just throw our stuff in there because traffic gets filtered to our group better than it does to our page. I kid you not. Facebook's algorithms have really hurt a lot of these uh, businesses on Facebook. You can find me on Twitter at DC Paul and Norm at Norm Hightower. 
We're also, don't forget, on Stitcher, SoundCloud, all those places. But iTunes, we'd really appreciate that five-star review if we've earned it. We'd appreciate it. And, of course, subscribe. Please subscribe. For Norm Hightower, this is Derek C. Apollo. We'll see you next weekend. Well, nope, we'll see you in a couple days. Adios. control what's outside your home, but you can control what comes in. Because Clorox disinfecting wipes kill 99.9% of viruses and bacteria, including COVID-19 virus, when used as directed on hard, non-porous surfaces. So whether it's from dirty doorknobs, dirty shoes, or something else, outside germs won't stand a chance. When it counts, trust Clorox. Kill Pseudomonas, Salmonella, and Influenza virus type A2. Kill SARS-CoV-2 on hard, non-porous surfaces. Use as directed. You can't control what's outside your home, but you can control what comes in. Because Clorox disinfecting wipes kill 99.9% of viruses and bacteria, including COVID-19 virus, when used as directed on hard, non-porous surfaces. So whether it's from dirty doorknobs, dirty shoes, or something else, outside germs won't stand a chance. When it counts, trust Clorox. Kill Pseudomonas, Salmonella, and Influenza virus type A2. Kill SARS-CoV-2 on hard, non-porous surfaces. Use as directed.